This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we look at two pieces by Hal Draper. The first is Toward a New Beginning on Another Road, and the other is The Myth of Lenin's Concept of the Party. Uh, This one was recorded a while ago, and uh, due to generally kind of spacing out and COVID craziness, we have not gotten around to editing it until recently. I know this was a uh, not one step back listener request that we are fulfilling now. Hope you enjoy. Out of Trotskyism, like he's one of the better people to come out of the Trotskyist tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he's uh, he's born he's born in Brooklyn, son of uh, Ukrainian Jews. Um, he gets a bachelor's from Brooklyn College in you know 1934. He's associated with the Socialist Party at that time rather than the Communist Party. He gets won over to Trotskyism eventually. He becomes a Fourth International type of guy. I think he follows he follows the Shackmanites. He follows the Shackman kind of line of like a third camp Trotskyism, where he sees the Soviet Union as having a new form of class society. He hits a lull, but then he becomes like a big deal in the free speech movement and the new left. And he ends up forming something that would become the international socialists. But he leaves the organization like only a few years into its existence, arguing that it became a sect. And his whole like corpus of discourse on the sect, you could see as being like a treatise on the IS group groupings, you know, like the sort of cliffite kind of groupings. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, kind of part of a long tradition going back to the founders of, you know, writing pieces like criticizing certain tendencies politically that dispositions politically that you once yourself held as you Mm. you could, you could almost call it self-criticism, although it's not as straightforward about that. Cause the two pieces we read, Mm. the one was written uh, in the seventies, probably before he really undertook his kind of major, probably could say like his major life's work, which was the, um, yeah. What was it called again? I, I, like, Karl Marx's Theory of Revolution. Right. That's like a multi-volume series, basically, kind of like detailing. Yeah, like this is this of, is not the most sophisticated Draper you get. Right. Um, but that, that, that's what he worked on, because there's a huge gap. And then the thing we read was like, the last thing in the Marxist Internet Archive on his page is from 1990, uh, which is Lenin's myth, the myth of Lenin's concept of the party. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was I was commenting on the other one. I, I kind of like the microsect one better than the... The one about Lenin's. Uh, I'm just trying to give us into the chronology of what we're what we're looking at here. Yeah, because we yeah. are looking at two texts from different times. We're looking at something something from 1971, and we're looking at something from from very late in his life in 1990. Uh, I guess what I was just saying before about the Trotskyism thing was that in the 1971 piece, he is very critical of Trotsky. He basically says that Trotsky was very reluctant to break against the communist parties until he really had to, but that his reluctance was based on a kind of, so he does give Trotsky's due. 
his reluctance was based on a sense that if we break from this, we're going to be able to form nothing but a, a Trotskyist sect. And well, so Portugal told him as much. Yeah. And, and so he, he does talk about uh, Trotsky as kind of stuck in a way that I think is more reasonable than both some of the pro and anti Trotskyist kind of narratives where he's just sort of admitting Trotsky's limitations, but saying, well, you know, if you were Trotsky being expelled from the Soviet Union in X year, you're already this deep in this thing. And there's not really a road to how Trotsky would have won. You can't go back and be like, well, if Trotsky had just done this little thing differently, then we'd be living in the free association of producers that Marx was talking about. I mean, that's pretty silly. he certainly missed his opportunities like that right sailed you know i think the the um you see people talking about say a uh i think the most reasonable version of this is when you see people talking about well what would have happened if trotsky and bukharin had had teamed up and i think maybe the most reasonable answer is less that we'd be in communism today and more that maybe there would have been a social democracy out of the Soviet Union that tarnished the name of communism slightly less, but then maybe probably answered fewer questions about the statist left. But um, I, I do... Yeah, I probably would have been less Jews purged. Yeah, it. it um, but the, the Bukharin Trotskyist thing, I remember I was reading a Goldner piece, and this kind of surprised me because I thought, I kind of feel like Goldner as a kind of Boradage uh, stan, at least that's how I was introduced to Goldner. <laughs> I kind of thought he wouldn't think this way. He would just kind of think of the party as the primary motion of history. But he was talking about how, yes, absolutely, we might have ended up with a better Soviet Union if you had Bukharin and Trotsky work together. But like by that time that you're asking that question, you're already talking about a contradiction that is far, far removed from the social revolution that was initially going on in Russia. Um, well, yeah, in terms, a lot of the working class was like dead. They're yeah. just dead at that point. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they're gone, and, you know, died in a bloody civil war. And we're just, at that point, we're talking about, okay, in the fucking Game of Thrones insanity that followed that civil war, what was the least harmful outcome? Like, that's yeah. what we're talking about at that point. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you yeah. develop? Yeah, I mean, it, we're talking about damage control. It, it's yeah, it's I mean, it's the thing is like the stuff is so complicated. It's really hard to like sketch out what would have happened. But you can look, you can add up the you can add up the pieces and see that like the Soviet Union was kind of objectively fucked. Yeah, right. I mean, Trotsky didn't start caring about democracy until it bit him in the ass, right? I mean, <laughs> it just seems that way to me. Uh, that's a pattern that a lot of you know bullshies fall into. <laughs> we'll get into that when we discuss uh, let the 1990s piece here. Ultimately, we're dealing with a sort of avant-garde dissident Leninism that is like Trotskyism as the left opposition to Leninism. Okay, but, you know, what can we do better as dissident Leninists than the Trotskyist movement did? Uh And, you know, when he's asking this question, I think it's a really live question. I know what my answer is in the year 2020, but when he was dealing with a lot of these things in the free speech movement, maybe the book didn't seem as closed. And like right. the whole rethinking Marxism might have gone under, you know, the Leninist umbrella. I think that's like I could I, I see I see why people think that way. But well, you, you see, I think I think our conversation about how much you have to buy in in order to expect, you know, like Trotsky taking control of the 
kind of gargantuan Leviathan that hadn't had like a Soviet election in, you know, 10 or 20 years or whatever, like, <laughs> like how, how that actually would have ended up like, like how far that is from, you know, the revolution or what have you. Yeah. I mean, and it's tough to say, I mean, I feel like you could, the best case you could make for Trotsky is that he wouldn't have as criminally mismanaged the third international, um, which, you know, had devastating consequences, especially in places like China. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, his his advice was better for for that stuff. Like that was something all the trots really loved to point out. Um, but I was gonna say about Draper, like he does, he definitely does seem very sensitive to the sort of foreclosure of possibilities. Um, and I can definitely see, you know, because the first piece certainly was written in 1971. Um, you know, and so there was still there was still a pretty robust trade union movement in the United States at that point. You know, like the the real, the real, like, it, was, it seemed like it wasn't until the late seventies that the real backlash started to set in. But he also, yeah, he definitely probably also sees kind of the nineteen fifties where you have, you know, the sort of binding of like the trade union movement to the state, uh, or in the form of kind of expelling all the socialists and basically getting on board with the whole, you know, sort of like late twentieth century, like you know, Americanism or whatever. And so, you know, he, he seems very sensitive to the kind of foreclosure of possibilities in the United States that's taking place. And he's trying to develop an orientation that can not just degenerate into this, you know, endless cycle of like microsects, you know, obviously his plan either didn't work or not enough people did it or who the fuck knows. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I think theoretically speaking, it's, you know, it's I mean, I still think there's stuff to pull from this. And I think that he, you know, it's a noble attempt. I think he he kind of he was on the right track in terms of like identifying kind of identifying this tendency and this problem that you know was becoming a thing at the time. Well, the description of the sect itself is quite good. I mean, what's strong in this text too is the historical overview, which shows just how little Marx himself. I mean, there's a huge part of this text where before he's talking about the 20th century or anything like that, Draper is just trying to reckon with really how little Karl Marx and Engels to a, a to a degree actually engaged in trying to build a faction within the left or relative to what they could have done, build a faction within the left, build a Marxist tendency, anything of that sort. I mean, and so he, he tries to explain why that happened. Um, and he has good, he's able to identify good reasons for Marx, but he, he also sees Marx as too militant. In fact, um, he says Marx probably overreacted. So intense was his determination to have nothing to do with any sect, but I actually don't think Marx or Engels were overreacting. Well, does that even imply that he's too militant? I mean, well, he's saying that, um, so intense was his determination to have nothing to do with any sect, including a sect of his own he probably overreacted. Um, I don't know what you mean about the word militant per se. I mean, maybe the word militant isn't perfect, but I just mean that um, I guess one of my curiosities about this text or one of the things I think would be a key fault line in examining Draper's work here is, okay, what is he saying about how Marx handled this? And what is what were the consequences? Because I think if you look at the first international, for example, because Draper goes into the first international and he actually makes this point that 
if that he wants Marx's, you know, kind of playing with Legos about the past, which we all do with when it comes to the early socialist movement, but he's going, well, what if Marx had created more of a social, like a Marxist socialist tendency within the first international before it collapsed? I mean, his exact words were within this broad class movement of the first international Marx and Engels set up no political center of their own of any kind. And this raises the question of overreaction. In effect, Marx used the general council and its influence within the general council as his political center. It'd be easy to explain why this was not enough. Marx felt that any other course of action would impede his personal influence, but the price was that the formulation of a definite Marxist cadre was still in a less than elementary stage when the international went under. This negative fact, not the failure to create a Marxist sect, but the failure to build a Marxist cadre of any kind, is one of the background reasons for the way in which the various socialist parties arose in different countries. So Marx says that the history of the international was a continental struggle of the general council against the sects and against amateur experiments, which sought to assert themselves within the international against the real movement of the working class. So in other words... Uh, rather than preserving the international as a vehicle for the broader workers' movement to impinge upon politics in the various context-specific ways it could, right? Because every country involved in the international was very different and had a different stage of the workers' movement. We're talking about early capitalism here. Draper seems to be suggesting that Marx should have formed a very explicit faction for these parties Mm -hmm. to model themselves after. And How this would be accomplished is, quote, the formation of a definite Marxist cadre, which sounds a lot like what Bakunin thought would win out in that fight. And it was flatly rejected at the Hague conference. I mean, when you look at the Hague uh, conference where the international starts to fall apart, what really brings it apart. And, you know, it's so ironic when you think about anarchist ideology. But what what Bakunin was trying to do was form a structureless conspiracy to dominate the international and it had to be it had to be structuralist it had to have no organizational content like it had to have this kind of anarchisty vibe to it but bakunin would write about okay at the at the proper moment of revolution like the men who are in the know are going to look at each other give each other the nod and lead the masses and that was how he that was how he talked about it right that's how what he thought would win out in that fight he even was trying to create different sections of the international which would have a bakuninist kind of uh, cadre built into them. So even if you kind of, uh, they were called the Alliance, the the Alliance for Social Democracy, I think. So it was like, even if you had the, the free elections, there'd be some stipulation that Bakunin's alliance had to have some level of representation on your local boards. This is how he wanted the international to be run. And this honestly, I mean, Marx won the debate with Bakunin because it was transparent to the International Congress that Bakunin wanted to control the course of the organization through his cadre. And and Draper remarks on the socialist parties that emerged from the collapse of the International as crude, but would attempting to force Marx's vision on these parties have made them truly Marxian? Or would it just have produced the dead end of theory that we call Marxism earlier in history? I mean, it just... It just it seems to me like like he really takes almost a crypto-Bakuninist stance in his desire to have Marx form a <laughs> faction within the international. 
I mean, it's it's clear from what he's written that he actually disagrees from with Marx's position, which is, you know, fine. And a lot of the Marxists, if they really thought about Marx's sort of written positions on these things in his most like pro-political period, you know, it does conflict. It it does it does conflict with a lot of like Marxist ideas. So I mean, like, I think it's kind of. Well, in a I way mean, we'd have good. we'd have to talk about that pro-political thing, but go on. Well, but like, it, like you you have to admit that like out of all of the corpus, it's when Marx is going against the anarchists that he says the th- things most about being included and in, in, like dealing with the political sphere. And, well, I like, in, think in in a in a way that cuts against. Like in like the beginning of his life, when he is engaging with the critique of Hegel, the end of his life, when he's, you know, much more politically interested, he has more skepticism towards politics than like, there's a certain like portion of his life that is maybe not exactly bourgeois Republican or something like some people want to make it out to be. But um, anyway, I think, I think we could easily get lost in the weeds here. Draper's comments on the sect form and what, how, what Marx sees as basically the historical sort of, you know, obsolescence of the sect form. Well, there's, and, so, and Draper he, doesn't so Draper disagrees with Marx and says that, you know, the Lasallians were smart to, to do sects because obviously, and alas, he says, yeah, unfortunately, you know, we hadn't quite entered, you know, some phase of history where you didn't need sex. And there's even a point in this essay where he says, like, you know, he's kind of like trying to nuance sex. Hey, all sex aren't equally harmful. Like the reverse is true. There's a tremendous variation in this regard. Well, and he's right. Does, that, a, he's right that Marx yeah. saw the early utopian socialist sex as not like negative because Marx thought that history hadn't yet reached the point that became reactionary. Well, like the, the important thing about Marx's quote, and it's 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 a great quote. Um, it's you know something we should probably know. He quotes this in he quotes this in close to fullness. I'm just going to read it out, but I, I want to draw out that I don't think this is a, an histor- a, an historical march of history tendency, but it's a causal tendency and counter tendency. So, quote: The international was founded in order to replace the socialist or semi-socialist sects by real organization of the working class for struggle. On the other hand, the international could not have maintained itself if the course of history had not already smashed sectarianism. The development of socialist sectarianism and of the real labor movement always stands in reverse ratio to each other. So long as the sects are justified historically, the working class is not yet ripe for an independent historical movement. As soon as it has attained this maturity, all sects are essentially reactionary. For that, what history exhibits more, excuse me, what history exhibits everywhere was repeated in the history of the international. What is antiquated tries to reconstitute itself and assert itself within the newly acquired form. I guess you could read this as like a teleological, like one than the other. But I think an equally good way of reading this is that like, if there was some reason, you know, a, de- a decadence of the workers' movement, then you might have like some um, <laughs> some justification for for the sects. But um, but that's not even what Draper is interested in. Draper is interested in saying that you know some sects aren't so bad, I guess, and you know Marxism could have used some sects, which 
I don't like judging from the way history bore out. I don't know if it would have went any better, but I understand why he would say that if only to compete with the Lasallians that he likes. Um, well, let's be fair to him because he does. And I agree with you. I, I think you, I think you've actually summed it up well. So I don't mean this to actually say like in a contradictory sense, but yeah, Draper doesn't suggest a party per se. He, he has his own vision that he crafts out of, uh, copying Iskra, which was the Leninist, uh, you know, the, the Bolshevik paper. And so he thinks we should start a paper. And I guess there's, um, I mean, there's nothing he, so his idea of a political center is we can't start a sect. You need to start a political center. And if you start a political center, you can spread your ideas without starting a sect, which a sect to be part of the sect, there's an organization and there's these boundaries on whether you can be part of the organization based on whether you agree with X, Y, and Z. But if you start a, if you start a newspaper, it's basically how he thinks of it. It's like, it's not really an organization that has those tendencies. Now think about um, any kind of circle, right? Um, even circles we might like, like endnotes or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, any left or right or whatever political circle you're part of, let's be honest, you, you gel with the people writing in it and they accept you or not, right? I mean, it's so mm-hmm. there is totally an ideological kind of almost programmatic barrier with this political center idea, but it doesn't become a membership issue per se. And so Draper's got this idea of a political center, a newspaper, and there's nothing wrong with starting a paper, I suppose. But I think it requires, if you're going to do that, contributing something new to the conversation, not just telling the left what it wants to hear or adopting a kind of recycled old left position that seems convenient for navigating whatever tensions exist in terms of your recruitment ideals. Ah. I mean, I think between starting an, an editorial board, what it would mean for Marx versus Draper, because I think for Draper, it's this idea of a political center is a vehicle to make the left great again. Whereas Marx and Engels, I mean, they wrote about contemporary proletarian movements and clarified their possibilities in distinction from the leadership being offered to them by much of the emerging socialist movement. So it just, it seems like it's a very different orientation. When you even look at what Draper's goals are for his political center, I think a lot becomes clear because uh, he says that uh, he wants to replicate the process that formed the Bolshevik tendency. And he admits that the Bolsheviks really could not have existed without a pre-existing proletarian movement that they did not create and this is something that a lot of the left the, a lot of the left is behind people like draper and lars lee on right because they think that we're going to go out and we're going to make the proletarian movement happen right, with right, right. our force of will uh, but but draper is at least willing to admit uh, and lars lee even more so is willing to admit that the only reason that Lenin and anybody on the socialist left in Russia could form a coherent party was because of a, a militant workers' movement that existed irrespective of their efforts, right? And and so yeah, they they had a recently you know uh, proletarianized peasantry where there was a living social memory of more collective forms of life and you know like the kind of social obligations of pre-capitalist social formations, right? Um, like we don't have that now. So, you know, right. I mean, you have to, you ha- yeah, you have to relate to people's social interests as they exist today. But I guess what I was getting at was, but that if, if those social Draper interests are formed three... by capitalism, 
like if the socialists are for uh, the socialists are formed by capitalism, there's like another level almost of like ideology you almost have to deprogram. So in a sense, like a new obviously a newspaper wouldn't be a thing to do. Like, but he, it is right that it would have to start with um, some you know propaganda. Essentially, you do have to basically kind of like introduce these ideas to people you know that's, that's i i agree i i agree that you need you need to talk you need to just be getting ideas out there and you need to be talking and and if you're if you're an intellectual like there's much more you can do by by admitting whatever you are and, and just having a conversation with people rather than like i'm gonna go out and larp that i'm a factory worker or whatever but i guess what um i guess what i what i was thinking was that uh, Draper really establishes his kind of three uh, goals of of repeating the process that through which the Bolshevik tendency was formed. Actually, to go back to what you were saying about capitalism and social interests, I mean, I agree that people's social interests are more wholly formed by capitalism than mixed peasant capitalist kind of modes than in the past. But I mean, isn't capitalism full of social contradictions that point towards communism? I mean, I, I know that in the immediate sense, obviously, your narrow civil social self-interest is going to be a kind of pro-capitalist, to put it vulgarly. Uh, like, there is absolutely. Uh, so this isn't really trying to argue against you, Jake. But there, there is absolutely a kind of immediate-term, short-term self-interest in narrow, egoistic-type stuff. But at the same time, long-term collective self-interest for the proletariat is um, both a self-interest and a social interest in um, – even – I mean even the bourgeoisie is pressured by capitalist contradiction to move things – away from the conditions through which capitalism was created. But anyway, there's so just to just to, I'm sorry. I know I'm throwing a million things out there and then I'm going back to what I was saying originally a terrible <laughs> pa- terrible panelist tonight. But the three steps that that he cites are creating a body of doctrine expressing a unified kind of revolutionary socialism, forming cadres of party workers and militants and establishing the tendency as a presence within left politics with its own name. So in the process of formation of the Bolshevik tendency, he says they created a body of doctrine, they formed cadres of party workers and militants, and they established their own kind of socialism as a presence in left politics. And then he says, this sums up our tasks too. I actually think Draper's political descendants, in terms of people who agree with him, Mm-hmm. Have more mm-hmm. or less done all that. Yeah, I mean, well, they they've have, done it. There, there is a body of doctrine, you know, through people who I think are even closer to the truth on this stuff, like Lars Lee. But there's a body of doctrine that is basically Draperist, right? Of political yeah. literature expressing a unified kind of revolutionary socialism. Um, I think that these kind of ideas percolate in stuff like Marxist Center and DSA. I actually think that. It even like it crosses the electoral abstentionist yeah. boundary. Even it, how much Draper's ideas have permeated the left, I think there absolutely right. are cadres of party militants that believe in this shit. And I think there is a kind of socialism as a presence in left politics, uh, which which repeats a lot of the ideas of of Draper, including the stuff he suggested that they do during the seventies that didn't go anywhere. I mean, so it's it's like you, it exists, and they're no closer to their mass party for it. So you well, kind of wonder like part of that is, you know, we basically have a first past the post electoral system that you pretty much have to win it a, like a majority outright in order to get anything. 
that makes like third party building like tremendously difficult. You know, that's why, you know, like even at the height of like a socialist movement, they, you know, it's like how much, how, what percentage of the vote did Eugene Deb get? Debs get like 5%. And it, uh, you know, there, there was an election where he got, I think, double digits. Okay. Like the one before he ran from jail. But that didn't get him like double digits in Congress. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's. No, like it's something. harder in the United States, definitely. Yeah. No, it's uh, harder in the United States. But honestly, Jake, I think that's like way, way ahead of the problem that where, where Draper is. Right. Because like, I know, think, too, like the, the, the mean, historical European horizons could... were way. The historical horizons were like way further with Debs than they than they ever were and during the new left, even during the best days of the new left. Uh-huh. Um, but it is a structural problem, though. I mean, I think it's, you know, that's the entire reason people are, like, lining up behind Sanders and why they didn't line up behind Nader, you know? Like, right, but, well, why is, well, the European socialists, I mean, I'm sure that they have access to Hal Draper's ideas, too. You know, I, I just, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the answer is in here, I guess. Well, they do. I mean, there is, there is better like working class representation in government, but the problem is it's a bunch of small mid-level states that are no longer at the center of the world imperialist core anymore. So it's much harder for them to control their own like economic policies in a way because, you know, they're so dependent on sort of competing with the United States. But anyway, well, I mean, if they did, if they did have good workers representation, I mean, you look at a place like Germany, right? I remember I was doing some stuff for work, um, back when I used to freelance and they were talking about, um, it was for Johnson and Johnson pharmaceutical company. And it was a PowerPoint that I was proofreading and they were talking about how, uh, well, yeah, yeah. They have these works councils. Uh, they actually accidentally, they called them worker councils in the in the powerpoint we have these works councils that the uh that the germans have and uh yeah that's a really good way of getting stakeholders on board for a decision that you have to make so it was like this greater workers representation was seen by an actual capitalist entity as like oh this is how we get proletarians to be on board with our schemes yeah, but More that, if it's so efficient, why aren't they starting workers' councils in America? I, I mean, it's a different context, I guess. You're right. Um, but I, I would say that um, it, it, it probably the strength of it is that it arose out of the left and out of a, out of um, actual like German – like that Germany is different. And that Germany, yes, probably – I mean Germany does have better protections for workers and all of that. I don't actually want to. I don't actually want to say that's all bad, but I guess I just mean wow. that um, it it in some total the difference between the United States and Europe um, in these regards is uh, I don't know. I just I'm 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 probably caricaturizing your position, and you can definitely clarify for me. But it sounded like you were almost saying that like workers have this kind of power in these kind of Nordic countries or whatever, where if these countries were more powerful in the world hierarchy, like workers would be more empowered in the world hierarchy. And I sort of think that it's more that like these things have already kind of become 
pretty purely representative organs and that they they hit their limits there well no there would be there if if they were at the core of the imperialism at, of imperialism there would be its own set of problems like i'm not basically saying like i don't know the german need, the german proletariat needs to march on russia or some shit like that no and i i didn't think that i just wanted to put it out there uh-huh. for discussion no, i understand that's fine and uh but the no, but what i'm saying is like yeah it's it's not socialism but it's not nothing and the working class is stronger there you know and like there is probably you know, more of a politics that this thing is kind of applicable to, but for broader, like structural reasons involving kind of the world imperialist hierarchy, you know, it limits the horizons of what they're able to accomplish. You know, yeah. Via political and economic struggle there. That's all. That's why my, my, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is like, you know, like not everything is like, not everything is just like the fact that like the left is a collection of like neurotic social lepers. I mean, that's certainly a problem, but <laughs> one, thing, one thing I'm trying to say here is that there are like bigger, like, large scale structural problems here that I don't know. I think we beat ourselves up a lot. Cause I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm the I, only one at this point that. on the show who does that, who still identifies as a leftist, but like, you know, I think that in some ways, you know, it's not everything. It, these are, there's a lot of bigger forces at play here that are making this very, very difficult. You know, the three part kind of breakdown that you put here. And I think it's right to highlight this body of doctrine, po- cadres of party workers and militants, establish a kind of socialism as a pres- presence in left politics with its own physiognomy. What is, what is this? Even? I was tripping over that word too. A person's facial features or expression, <laughs> especially when regarded as indicative of character or ethnic origin. I think he's talking about Judeo-Bolshevism. I, I mean like, yeah, it's own physiognomy. I think he's saying name. have big nose. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, unless he's saying, make sure you get enough Jews. Yeah. He must be saying, like, Jump you know, it's way. it's its own kind of disposition, its own kind of like kind of. Uh, wow, really, I'm bursting the charity bank here. Um, I don't know what to say about its that. own countenance, is, its own left wing okay. countenance. I think brand is what he should be saying here. So the basic problem here, of course, is that. Anyone, any like grifter with Twitter does this. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, fuck. That's the whole. All right. So his his idea of the process of the Bolshevik tendency forming is do what everyone is doing. Like yeah. that's what you end up with. Start, start a capitalist racket. Like well, basically, no, well, make sh- make sure you have a body of doctrine. Even though our you know great teacher Marx basically has just entire reams of stuff about methodology about how this is a bad way to pursue this sort of thing. Um, I mean, like the positive thing I think you can take away from this, right. Is basically try and find, and this is obviously this, this is like the vaguest thing you can say, and it's kind of hard to quantify any of it, but it's basically try and find something with some kind of organic connection to the capital real movement, you know, uh, Try and find, try and find something like that, and engage with that. Uh, basically, it's, I mean, it's not quite entryism, but there is actually also, a, I think, in a, another piece you wrote around the time, I think that we talked about on this podcast before, it, Anatomy of Microsect. I think, yeah, this I, is a sequel to that piece. I, I was, was, I was uh, looking at that forty-six, I think. And there's a lot of him like railing against like people's refusal to engage with trade unionism, um, in the United States at that time. Right. So yeah, I guess a lot of him it, that it would be. He's basically mad at all these new leftists who are mad that like 
trade unionism in, in the United States isn't woke enough and they, you know that, that they're not at the right place <laughs> in terms of program or this or that. But he kind of, like one example he pulls is NOM, how you start to see like aspects of the of trade unions forming groupings to maybe softly suggest maybe we don't uh, burn up a bunch of peasants in Vietnam, right? And a lot of a lot of like young leftists turn their nose up at this. And he's like, well, no, look, it's trending in the right direction, but it's it's not there yet. Rereading this actually kind of maybe gave me like a novel take on uh, on that thing we watched a few episodes ago, the DS9 episode with about the bell riots, right? Oh hell yeah, past tense. If you're a scientific socialist, right? If you've got if you got access to that immortal science, you know that Kotsky spoke about, you know, like mm-hmm. you basically almost have to act like you're a person from like the Star Trek future, and you find yourself in like the hell of like late capitalist American society. But what do you do? Yeah. You do what Benjamin Sisko did, right? Like Benjamin Sisko didn't trying to explain the Federation or anything to that. Right. He basically found an opportunity and kind of stepped into the place that he needed to be and inserted himself into yeah. the situation in the form of the person that needed to be there and tried to basically press upon the contradictions of the moment. And, you know, in order to achieve historical progress. Yeah, I think that's really valid. I, I, I really think, yeah. too, that um, the the most valuable thing Draper is saying is, is fucking relate to what's going on. And I mean, I, I don't think that when you I, I don't think when you look at how he suggests the left do it in response to the strike wave in the 70s, for example, I don't think he's actually right about how to do it. Right. But when he but what he's saying is that there is a movement outside of there is a movement that is going on as a result of you actually put it great like cap like the real like something like the real movement out of capitalism or something like that 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 is just um independent of uh or not independent like it definitely has a relationship to what the left is doing and what socialists are doing and i'm i think um i think for me but 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 it it, it ends up uh it, it it's it's not well, it's not intellectually old, dissociated in that way that I think right. um, a lot of what's, people are. What's the old story about like the Alinskyites, right? Who cut their hair to go to the factory and then found that everyone, that people were there were hippies, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, the point is like these ideas can get like this if, if it's in the broader culture and if it gets out there, it can get disseminated to the working class and influence them, I think. It, in this case, it was like hippie shit, but I mean, I think it could be socialist ideas, you know? If you ever, well, yeah. know, if we, you ever listen can... to like like uh, Street Fighter or whatever, they do like call-in shows and there's people who, you know, get into like this dirtbag left stuff and internet trolling and shit who are, you know, guys who work on construction sites and shit like that. And it starts to, it does start to influence the way they think about this. So there could be, you know, there could be a positive, a positive uh, outcome from all this kind of like dissemination of like, Current form of socialism you see on the internet and shit like that. Right. Well, and I think the two, some of the, some of the positive outcome won't just be, oh, people receive the new gospel and they get our dogma and they're right. I think some of the positive will be when people receive stuff like the Sanders campaign or, or like, uh, even the most, you know, left communist, whatever critical bullshit, um, their skepticism of it. Right. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that, when like the feedback will also involve 
what I mean, I find even after all the time I've spent trying to trying to not be enveloped in it, that a lot of people outside the left entirely who've never been through the ringer of it just have a have a really good bullshit radar for stuff that I've got all these like complex yeah. the, I've got all these complex theoretical reasons why I disagree with X, Y, or Z. But most people see X, Y, or Z and they go, oh, fuck no, that's dumb. Mm-hmm. And and so. You know, mm-hmm. I think that yeah. um, that dose of reality, and so I'm, 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 I'm thinking that 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 socialist consciousness being put out into the world. I hope that the world then reflects back on it and modifies that socialist consciousness. One of my critiques here is that, like, this doesn't sound very different from what he thinks a sect is. Yeah, because it's an ideological formation when he knows it's about being social. But for some reason, for some reason, this is okay as long as it's just like a paper. Well, he talks, talks about it about, like a party formation, right? And this just, is something that McNair might call a party of activists, but or maybe not. Maybe you would call it like you know, maybe you would he wouldn't call it a party. But I think at this point, what we call a party and don't call a party in the Leninist tradition, it gets a little arbitrary. Like this sounds very much like a sect, and he's sort of equivocating on his harsher critique of the sect, which, you know, I don't like. <laughs> I mean, the impression I got looking at it was basically yeah, starting a publication in order to like influence basically. And then that would kind of organically lead to people wanting to be sort of militants. And then you could sort of like guy, you know what I mean? I feel like what he's saying is, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like a hard damn set party, but it sounds like something maybe he wants. that's a little more diffuse. I know in the, in the other essay too, he talks about just kind of like a hang loose kind of situation basically and advises the reader to develop affinities with the people like literally around you at work and to try and like explain your ideas to them. So it's, it's yeah. I mean, I can see how he, again, he's post Trotskyist, like he's coming out of that tradition. So there's, you want to you right. see, you see remnants of that. And I guess he's trying to basically loosen it up in such a way that it's not this, sort of iron iron cadre, you know, taking orders from, you know, whoever. I mean, I know. And and in his context, it's like understandable and an improvement on the what came before. But in our context, it seems virtually identical from what a sect does. Like, and it makes me even think, isn't like what we do, if I don't know, we're maybe not trying to, you know, make militants out of the workers, you yeah, know, to I, be a I swap do, side... I, be a swamp side militant. You should devote your whole life to our project today. Like, I do have really a, I do don't have a little bit. I do have a thing I want to talk about Herbalife later, but you know, like we can see <laughs> that in the episode. No, well, I know right. what you're saying, but every, I think we all that... we all feel like not great. Maybe I'm speaking for you, but we would all feel not great if we were making swamp side militants. You know, like we. I don't know. I think that, that'd be pretty sweet. Like pretty you would want you would want like a swamp side like you know. I mean, I wouldn't want them like to have posters army. of us, but like if if like. You know, if they were, like, doing... I mean, I see people in, like, our fucking Discord who are, like, doing cool stuff, and I'm like, yeah. Well, so, I, I mean, They're, they're doing sense, cool stuff, know? but it's not at our, like, behest, you know? Like, we can... Right. We, when we talk to them, it's not like, they're, oh, yes, right. Senpai. They're not, they're not our soldiers, yeah, I know. Yeah. The way that this is describing spreading doctrine is not, like, a democratic, you know, dialectical process like we were talking about in the Dietzkin episode. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Catholic catechism. It's like against the spirit of Marx, clearly. I mean, maybe, like, I don't know, but it seems like he's trying to extrapolate something out of Marx that like goes against that too. 
But you say he disagrees with that. I don't know. I guess I maybe I, maybe I didn't pick up on that on the read through of it. I don't know. Or maybe maybe I'm like doubling down on this because it makes because his alternative to the sect makes me it's just uncomfortably like a sect in practice when I see actually existing Draperites. You know, even when I see the the abstentionist Marxist center types that are not Stalinists, you mm-hmm. know, and even the ones that are more hostile to Stalinists, even the best ones. Here's the, the DSA thing. chapters that are more like, you know, anarchist leaning or communizer just... leaning or whatever. Like even the best ones that are taking some pages from the Draperist tradition or whatever, they might not see themselves as doing that. Well, there's and there's another like major like structural problem here in the United States, I think that like leads to this sort of thing where like in the 1950s, they started putting fluoride in the water. And so you can see like a direct correlation in terms of the way like the sect breakdown thing happened. You know, they got us all sipping on that dumb bitch juice. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that if, if you just think about how the Soviets have infiltrated our water supply in order to decrease our virility, um, there's really no issue that takes precedence over that. No, it's because, the problem. Like uh, it's, it's basically yeah. they, the water is feminized men so that they're so afraid of confrontation. They can't just like stay in one organization. And just <laughs> it out. They have to split off in like this passive aggressive, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would that- agree. I, I think that the soy has something to do with that too. Yeah. The large yeah. amounts of, the large amounts of estrogen in the yeah. air mm-hmm. that are being pumped out by jet planes. For yeah, example. As, a re- as a representative of a, of a soy boy nation, I believe that dumb bitch juice is what makes the impossible Whopper so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, that and like weak old mayonnaise. Okay, so I feel like uh, you know we should probably keep this moving on a little bit. You know, so I guess all I'd say is um, to, in in my kind of response to toward a new beginning on another road, nineteen seventy one, is that where Draper maybe sees the state of the left as a consequence of bad strategy rather than the bad strategy reflecting something about left-wing politics that has a long kind of different forms uh, relationship with proletarian movements. I mean, if you look back to even as far back as SPD in Germany, it's, it ranges between, you know, tense but mutually beneficial, transactional to downright antagonistic, right? And so those are really there's i mean there's never been this moment and I, you know you wouldn't expect it but there's never been this moment where where the left has been you know this kind of perfect conduit for for the social or something and I, that's not what i'm saying we need right but um it's just interesting to me that so often people come up with their own theories about how the left is going to get out of this this moment that is really consistent with the left through its whole history. I mean, that even even not contradicting the fact that it's been more popular at times or something like that, but that that really the behavior and the the orientation that it took towards proletarian movements and the the conservatism that it had in regards to them uh, was not that different. And so I guess that's where that's where I might I'm my critique for me with Draper is is just seeing like it's almost like the left is in the state it is in because of bad ideas rather than as a result of, you know, what the left is and what proletarians are in contradistinction to that. Well, but the, and the left doesn't exist in a vacuum though, too, you know, like there's, there's kind of like broader forces here that are 
leading to these kind of dead ends as well. So, you know, it's it's both, you know, it's dialectical materialism, right? Like it's a problem of like, you know, there are bad ideas, but there's also like, you know, bad conditions and hopefully maybe good ideas can feed into good conditions. I mean, it, it's all really basic stuff, but I think it's I think it's true. I mean, yeah. it's it's true, but there's also I mean, the there's a there's also the principle of you know causal asymmetry. Like material conditions are like kind of given a privileged role in some of these things, and it's not direct with social movements. There's always mediations in the in this direction or that, ideologically or in the thought world. Ultimately, like when you get down to it, you do have to make the choice between: Are you a missionary? Are you in a combat organization? Is everybody that you interact with, are they like marks for you to take down or for you to maximize your influence over? Are you going to interact with people on a, you know, fundamentally kind of like mutual level? And I think, I think that that matters in building a different kind of political culture or, you know, however else you might want to describe that than the, the sect or the, you know, Draperite post sect blog newspaper or, you know, wannabe Iskra kind of thing. You know, at some point, especially like in a revolutionary situation, you might have to get real instrumental with how you deal with shit, you know, maybe in the context of a civil war or something, you know, like there's no way that a revolution breaks out and there isn't like some aspect of like literal warfare. That's a component of it, you know? So I there, mean, there is, there is like, stuff, but at, at granted this, at, that, Granted that, like, why is everyone rushing right. to form the Cheka right now? Right. No, like, that, well, like that's, that's the most suspect thing in the fucking world. And anyone well, that wants a social revolution needs to keep those people far away from you know, the real movement. Really, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a thing really has like a, a limit to what you can do because most people, again, aren't going like you can get people to sign up for a cult, you know, and do all kinds of crazy shit. Like, you know, yeah, the, like that thing with like the actresses would get branded by some dude, you know, like you, you can, yeah, yeah, you, you can like you, you can do weird, a, kinky, like crypto right. S and M shit. That, yeah, that has like an upper end limit. But if you want something that's actually big, you have to offer people something. You know, and you have to give you have to give them like a reason to follow you. You know, like it's because uh, most people right. don't want to sign up to just get more shit. You know, they people do it every people do it every day when they go to work, but they doing that to you know because they need to make a fucking living. You know, look, look, the truth is the ugly truth is some people will sell books at the airport for meaning. You know what I mean? And like, I think that there are leftist versions of this. You know, people we know that like you know people essentially are just doing a lot of work for free. And it's because they need a belief system. They need a meaning. And there's someone like, you know, there are people on the left who are, you know, brazen enough to say that they have answers to these things, which honestly, when you encounter a well-worked out proposal for what we're supposed to do, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of a hundred, I mean, you can probably hold this person in contempt for being as like, as like reckless as to pretend like they have an adequate grasp of what's going on and what we need to do right now, which I I would love to develop that analysis, but most times I see it, it's a grift, you know? And that's what, what kind of bothers me here is that he has a great critique of the way that the sect in pretending to be the mass party or in being a mass party or, you know, a proto party formation and all of this like party teleology built into organizations. You know, he says, if you try to miniaturize a mass party, you do not get a mass party in miniature, but only a monster. You know, I, I think that 
there is the same kind of shenanigans that happen in these like Draperite newspapers. Like that's the, it doesn't really fundamentally address the, the problem. It's like he gets close to the answer, but he rejects something that would be, you know, that would uh, like address this greater problem. And maybe well, was he not around to see how things like how these things play out? I kind of don't believe that. Well, I mean, I don't, I think it would be maybe easier if he like just stated plainly the thing is like, you kind of need a certain number of people to be on board to really get something going, you know? And so, you know, it's everything on some level until you have a certain, yeah, critical mass of, you know, militants or socialists or whatever, or people who are just kind of on board with the idea of, you know, class conflict and moving on to a better society. Like once you hit that number, like, or whatever, you know, whatever X number it would be, then, you know, because politics, like I think Lenin said, politics isn't politics till it's in the millions. And so he criticized this idea that, that like the sex will go just via not geometric progression, but just linear person to person growth or whatever. And eventually that will, it's like, no, that won't work. There needs to be the act- activation of broader like masses and like social forces that, you know, perhaps socialists can have an influence on that they have maybe some useful advice for it. But that's, you know, that's part of a process that's, you know, in some ways it's out of our control, but maybe there's things we could do to push things in that direction in small ways. But does that entail the formation? I don't know. It's not really the party of activists of McNair, but it's close. Mm. It's a, you know, party of, it's a, it's a, I don't know, publication combat organization. I'm not, it's combat I mean, publication. I can see how this definitely know? does kind of like look like the CBGB in some ways, but on the other hand, I really enjoy the Weekly Worker, and I feel like they have kind of created like a publication that produces stuff that's like worth reading on a pretty, pretty regular basis. You know, more so than a lot of other or you know public publication groups on the left. You know, I mean, if yeah, but they have like a weird like proto party like kind of formation. I don't know how serious right. that is. Maybe, yeah. but maybe to the degree that it's not serious is why it functions like a Draperite thing. But yeah. like, the, like. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like there are people in the Weekly Worker that write like doctrine, and it's that kind—it's a kind of like style in even the best socialist publications that is just a bad look. But for the most part, like I think CBGB is like pretty good at getting heterodox, interesting Marxist thinkers out there in a more digestible way than you normally see. We should probably yeah. get to this second Al Draper thing because you know, but like, uh, I mean, we're just we're touching on the neo cal orthodoxy because this Hal Draper piece seems like yeah. uh, a worse version of what Lars Lee did, and by worse I mean earlier. Well, um, yeah, no, it's it's, but I'll say yeah. this about it, right? Like, if you, could, I feel like you could give this to somebody. I mean, you could tell them, hey, go read Lars Lee's like what is to be done in context, or if you only got twenty minutes, here's this, you know. <laughs> Because it, it hits a lot of the, it hits a lot of similar points, which is you know uh, what is to be done was written in a very specific set of historical circumstances, and Lenin understood that, and literally himself was like, yeah, this was written for a very specific. This isn't this wasn't designed to create some trans like some histor- like historically transcendent form of the party that's you know to be implemented in any and all circumstances. I'm literally just talking about Russia in fucking 1902, you know. Um, which is an important point because, you know, somehow the whole thing got codified as like this, you know, I don't know if it's just the title or what the fuck happened. So that's like the big point he hits on. 
he talks he talks a lot about uh the Lenin Kautsky relationship and how a lot of the like the shitty things that get attributed to Lenin from this actually come from Kautsky. That's a hundred percent true. That yeah. the shitty things, but the only thing that the only thing is essentially that there was a difference in opinion about membership between what would be the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, and this ended up being more of a contentious split than many people imagined. I think. You know, there may be right to say that if you pin, you know, Leninist totalitarianism on what is to be done, you have to look, take a look at Kautsky and the SPA day as well. But I think there's a difference between like the ma- the mass party with broad membership and the sort of like cadre party. So Rosa Luxemburg and uh, Lars Lee is good about this. Rosa Luxemburg you know, also kind of responds to what is to be done in a sort of like, uh, this looks, you know, this, this is going in the wrong direction, comrade. Overall Are you point about is that, Marxism? Yeah, I guess that's done around the time of the, the revolution, right? Like, but, and, and Leninism or back. Marxism is published in 1904. Okay. Um, it's originally yeah. under the title of Organizational Questions of the Russian Social Democracy. So it's not actually, and I think it's actually published in Iskra. So it's not okay. actually, it's not actually originally published as Leninism or Marxism. It's, it's published yeah, okay. as, I, th- I think okay, that Comrade version. Lenin, let's talk about this. I think, okay. Cause yeah, cause she's, she's like, you know, she's been around, like she's, she was a fixture in the party since like, and that's payday since like what the late 18, 18- hundreds, you know, the late, um, late 19th century. So she would have like kind of predated Lenin in a lot of ways. Um, so that makes sense. She's just responding to what is to be done. Like, I don't know, like largely, you know, basically like debunks a lot of her reading, let's say, but I think it's telling that she got it right in bold strokes, even if she didn't get the details right. And something that bothers me about, this Draper piece, even though, okay. Like, obviously I agree with the sort of neo Kautskyist insight, but there's sort of, there's maybe like three ways of looking at the neo Kautskyist insight. You go with, you know, Kautskyism, you know, all the way to the elector to, to the polls and the electoral office. All right. You, you know, you try to, you know, elect a socialist in a, in a Kautskyist way or whatever not very neo of you, but you know, who cares? Like then um, the other way is to do a sort of Leninist abstentionist sort of like, you know, Marxist center, like this Draper McNair thing. And then the other way is to sort of like, you know, you read end notes, you smoked weed, you got sad. And then like you're reading McNair and you're looking at a sort of broad way to reassert like Marx's opinions against like, what we might've thought of as sort of like giving up to like anarchist politics or something like that and trying to like formulate a properly Marxian response that isn't so nostalgic. When, when I look at something like this, like Lars Lee is always speaking as a historian, not like as an alter Leninist who's very defensive. Even if I disagree with some of where Lars Lee ends up, it's, it's not so much a tone thing. There's just a point in this where, Draper is like, where did Lenin ever say that intellectuals should should rule over the proletariat? And it just doesn't really deal with like, 
you know, what the Bolsheviks did in power at all, which I guess goes for Lars Lee too. Like, right. I actually think too, uh, what you're saying about Luxembourg, I mean, Leninism or Marxism as, or as it, as it really, Leninism or Marxism in 1935, which is long after Rosa Yeah. So that's long after Rosa Luxemburg is dead. Okay. This was published in Rosa Luxemburg's time as organizational questions of the Russian social democracy. So we we can, we can get rid of the clickbait headline. Right. But in organization. Yeah. I don't like using that, that um, title, even though, you know, I think it's, it's a sweet dunk. It's good. It's funny, but it's, 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 it's a little bit, it's not what she was necessarily saying, right? But organizational questions, it's, it's interesting because she identifies some stuff that feels really salient today, like, quote, the tendency is for the directing organs of the Socialist Party to play a conservative role. Experience shows that every time the labor movement wins new terrain, those organs work it to the utmost. They transform it at the same time in a kind of new bastion, uh, and 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 then she talks about um, – she always uses Lenin's definition of opportunism. She says, mm-hmm. if like Lenin, we define opportunism as the tendency that paralyzes the independent revolutionary movement of the working class and transforms it into an instrument of ambitious bourgeois intellectuals. And then she talks about how in the early stages of a labor movement, like they were experiencing in Russia in 1904, that the best way for opportunism – to take hold is through rigorous centralization. But she also, uh, she explains what she calls the quote, autonomous and decentralizing tendencies in the social democratic party. And she disagrees with those too. So I think a right. lot of, a lot of the smear with Rosa Luxemburg, and I think she's a really smart Marxist. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the smears with Rosa Luxemburg orient around this idea that she's a spontaneous, I think is a word that gets thrown around a lot, or she's an autonomist, or she only believes in decentralized, non-institutional, non-organizational uh, modes. No, she believed, she literally believed that, 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 that German social democracy had a role to play in, um, in aiding the proletariat in its world historical mission. Um, mm-hmm. What, what she said though, was like, those are the people who are ahead of the curve. We are people inserted into the political sphere uh by circumstance and and we need to take their their lead you know and 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 help them you know with this it, it, and so it, it's she takes a different tack than a lot of the SPD, but she she doesn't actually believe in this rigorous decentralization or only mass strikes can be effective or anything like that that really is used to dismiss her work she's actually i think she's a greater heir to Marx, if you actually look at all of her writing, there's just a much greater air to Marx and Engels than than Lenin. And I mean, Lenin's a smart politician. Yeah. Lenin's intelligent, but I think she's more along the lines of the kind of the kind of balance between the economic and the political that they try to strike. Um, but but she's kind of just written off as a martyr. I mean, you can have right, the most right. Stalinistic asshole and the, the most critical left com and a social democrat and a liberal all in the same room like oh poor poor rosa luxemburg and uh nobody in the circle of them will have read a single word she wrote and so it's like it's like she's worth reading 
I mean, that's the thing. It's like so much of the criticism of Rosa Luxemburg is really just old hat repetition. And, and she's worth reading because um, her 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 remarks about Lenin are not vulgar anti-Leninism. I mean, it's no, not. No, they're it's not, not vulgar. What it is. They're not vulgar. Look, when I say that, like, Lars Lee makes some, like, points about, like, makes some, like, individual points about interpretations of this and that. And there, there are some details that he gets right. But I feel like it's missing the forest for the trees because Rosa Luxemburg saw the writing on the wall before it really became an issue. Because for most of Lenin's life, even though he was a pretty ruthlessly instrumental politician, you know, he was a sort of radical Democrat, like, like in a, in a, in a kind of important way in a political environment where not everybody was advocating for like radical democracy, like in in addition to being a socialist, you know what I mean? Like, and he did inherit a kind of like, you know, hodgepodge of a tradition between like Lasallian, you know, German daddy, like organizing and, <laughs> and, um, you know, more like democratic forms that the, you know, the workers movement sort of organically ended up like being, you know, the torchbearer for in Europe's history. Like that's how universal suffrage gets to Europe is through social democracy. Um, universal man suffrage, especially. Please. I would agree. I would agree with what you're saying about um, Luxembourg, and I, I, I don't know. There's, I, mean, I, think, I think there's it's, a I think line in here that of. there's a line in here that actually meshes well with what Draper is saying, which is uh, so to to just look for some unity, I guess. Right, uh, Luxembourg says that a manual of regulations may master the life of a small sect or a private circle. An historic current, however, will pass through the mesh of the most subtly worded paragraph. Um, and so she, she's in that she's, she's really saying that, okay, you can direct these, uh, central organs, you know, but the, the Russian social movement is going to act on its own. And, and so, um, so she, she talks about how the initial movement, right. For the, uh, that was coming about in 1904, 1905, um, that that in time, she says, we see appear on the scene an even more legitimate child of history, the Russian labor movement. For the first time, bases for the formation of a real people's will are laid in Russian soil. But here is the ego of the Russian revolutionary again. Pirouetting on its head, it once more proclaims itself to be the all-powerful director of history, this time with the title of His Excellency the Central Committee of the Social Democratic Party of Russia. The nimble acrobat fails to perceive that the only subject which merits today the role of director is the collective, quote-unquote, ego of the working class. The working class demands the right to make its mistakes and learn the dialectic of history. Let us speak plainly. Historically, the errors committed by a truly revolutionary movement are infinitely more fruitful than the infallibility of the cleverest central committee. I mean, that's fucking clever. I mean, move, even if you want to pose the question of, you know, what would have happened if, uh, you know, Leninism hadn't made, you know, a viable Marxist politics in that time or what have you. But but just in, in, in terms, too, of, you know, 
Leninism and especially the Civil War will come up as this reason why X, Y, or Z had to be done. And it actually makes a lot of sense, right? This is an unresolved question in Marxism really is how do you have a social revolution that doesn't immediately produce a civil war that um, that requires the creation of a new like authoritarian state? in order to, to even litigate the civil war. Right. And, and, and that, um, and, and because once it wins, right, we see, okay, that's fine if that's all that it's about. But once that, once that movement wins, we see in Russia that war communism, once that's over the relationship of trust between the proletariat, what's left of it, what's left of the proletariat and the Bolsheviks is done. Okay, and so Kronstadt rolls around, and even if you disagree with Kronstadt's demands or or their their political representatives or what have you, right? On the social level, there's an uprising, and the Bolsheviks have no way of responding to it except mass killings. There's no way to make a compromise. There's no way to negotiate. It's just we have to fucking we have to shoot them. That's what they. That's all they can come to is we have to shoot them because. it's absurd when you look at the day-to-day, like, you know, failure to negotiate, but it's, yeah. It, that, it's that it's also said. wound up after the Civil War and after this. And this isn't a question that, that you know, we have a perfect answer to, but it's, it's interesting to think that it's not really presented as a problematic. It's only really examined as, as a necessary defense of Leninism, which, sure, yeah. I, I'm already past the point where I've seen that Lenin made decisions that in the context of a political class that had earned the respect of the workers' movement and was trying to win a civil war, like, were understandable decisions or what have you, even when they were brutal. I, I can get there. I'm already there. But yeah, but, but like, then you, you ask a larger question about, okay, well, if the workers' movement evolves into this thing and this thing, like – leads to, you know and the bloody civil war totally fucking fucks up the revolution well i mean w- are we just gonna bank on hoping that historical conditions in the future don't do that again i mean what's the what's the move there because it just it seems uh, yeah to me like i mean to, not- to, to being to be incredibly basic about it it's a question of you know what's the vanguard and the big Luxembourgian like insight, which is a properly Marxian insight, and it's the reason that autonomists claim Luxembourg and that you know Leninists let them, is that Luxembourg ultimately disagrees with Kautsky and Lenin, in that the vanguard are part of the proletariat that are not necessarily organized. The most advanced workers are not necessarily you know, definitionally, analytically, the ones organized by your socialist intellectuals, which really frees up the way of reading and thinking of advanced elements of the proletariat. It's not necessarily, you don't just assume that it's the people that are like in your party and listening to you, or, or, you know, that it's the people that are in the progressive wing or something that are the, you know, the vanguard of the proletariat. So like, you end up with this situation where if you read a lot of critical theory, you might blur the two things, but once the advanced guard of the proletariat gets like slaughtered in the civil war or their hopes crushed by, you know, the Bolsheviks not really allowing for meaningful opposition, you have left this vanguard party that 
doesn't have the support of, you know, the vanguard, like historical, like the historical motivating force in a Marxian sense. That's this is the insight you get with Luxembourg. So we can say what we want about Draper. I can like be dissatisfied with his political orientation and I can, you know, be sour about him articulating something I more or less agree with, but in a way I feel like is insufficiently critical, like, and reflects his sort of like Leninist, you know, obsession. Even though I feel all this, I, I, I think Draper has this like kind of like center left sort of spirit, a sort of dash of that Luxembourgian understanding that being the Marxist center doesn't make you the proletarian vanguard that this neo Kautskyist insight about the socialist movement, you know, being intellectuals, he kind of double talks on this. So maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Where did did Lenin ever say that, you know, bourgeois intellectuals should lead the proletariat? I mean, what he said, what he said was basically Kautskyism, you know, believed that socialism was a science uh, science is the domain of people who specialize in science. And so there's going to be just structurally a thing where sections of like the bourgeois will basically bring that science to like the working class. Right. Well, uh, why does he deny that Lenin basically believed this, even if it wasn't unique to Lenin? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I thought it was interesting, though, that he he points out that cause he, he kind of points to like stick bending as a thing. And he basically claims that like Kautsky was arguing because Kautsky was arguing against Bernstein's opportunism. Like he kind of basically like bends the stick this way in order to claim that like, you know, working class stuff doesn't doesn't just happen spontaneously because, you know, Kautsky's whole thing was, you know, the movement is everything. And that all we need to do is just like basically keep Bernstein. Doing Ber- yeah, Bernstein's like, whole thing. Right, yeah, Bernstein, yeah, the movement is everything, and, you know, we don't need all the, any of this intellectual nonsense, we just need more class struggle, and then it'll all kind of resolve itself, you know. So I guess he's basically trying to say, like, well, hey, you know, everyone, is, is is this just everybody, you know, being mad at Lenin for some other shit, you know, like, why is it, why does any of this get traced back to, like, Kautsky, why does the buck stop at Lenin? Yeah, I can, I can understand that impulse, and, like, it makes me appreciate, you know, when I was, like, approaching Marxist Center, there were a lot of people... That were like, yeah, we've read McNair, but, you know, we're really doing center in the Draperist way. And I thought that was kind of, like, misguided because McNair is smarter than Draper on strategy. But, like, all the same, like, I now understand why the neo kalskiists were so big on Draper because Lee and McNair are all responding to Draper, all building from Draper. There's mm. e- there's even a part in in revolutionary strategy where McNair disagrees with Draper and says that here Homer has nodded. Um, but like, yeah, this, you know, this is a big influence on Lars Lee's work and Lars Lee isn't even like a Marxist really. He, he's very defensive of Lenin defensive to the point where he does sound like a Leninist, but he's not. And it, and it, and it shows, it shows in his research and Lars Lee is just about universally liked you know, for setting some very basic records straight. And it's possible that he bends the stick a bit. You know, I think like, it's really not crazy to make the leaps that Luxembourg is making. It's a death of the author sort of thing when you read what is to be done, because you know what's coming later. And even though the Lenin that you're reading is a radical Democrat, you know how like instrumental he can be about people. Like yeah. if he, 
you know, like well, it's, you, well, okay, you know how so, he'd be. So like Lenin's Lenin's defense of himself against Luxembourg is he basically claims that like the stuff that Luxembourg is ascribing to me just aren't accurate. Like these that's literally not what I'm arguing. And he basically said right. he basically believed that like what he's really just doing is working out the forms of any party that could like conceivably exist under the conditions in Russia. Right. And maybe maybe that's maybe that's the real problem here. Like maybe maybe it's we re- you have to kind of look at the conditions in Russia and not just this kind of um, this kind of just progression of big heads. Right. Where it's like, OK, Stalin's where it went bad. But was the, uh, who, who was the head before him? Uh, it was Lenin. Uh, but what about before him? Was it Kowski? You know what I mean? Like and like just this right, progression right. of theorists that had the, this degenerated theory, like, you know, maybe. Maybe Lenin's actually right, and there were just like aspects of the conditions in Russia that led to these kind of outcomes, uh, you know, from like a hard like material social determinist standpoint that Lenin was trying to like work a way around, but they just kind of ended up there anyway for a variety of reasons. You know, see, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So, but so there's a like, lot of people there that wanted some kind of dictatorship. But not all of them had a sort of history as like radical Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I mean, Lenin, Lenin, I think, I think I could see the impulse to try and like find, you know, find the good aspects in Lenin. But because Lenin was entangled in this situation and engaged directly in it, like there's no way he comes out 100% clean. So you can't bend the stick too far and say, oh, you know, like, well, he was actually cool about everything, you know, because his hand, you know, he was. His hands were more more so than Marx and Engels. Like it, he was directly like involved in history and implicated in a way that, at some level, personally, it's hard to judge him. You know what I mean? Because like he's making the kind of decisions that I would never have to, to have to make. You know, like the there's yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, the there's question, certain the contexts is, in which I just, I just don't think I'd be able to order a mass killing, or I mean, maybe I would 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 i hope maybe behave with more restraint in certain respects i mean you look not, at the I'm paris commune for, i'm not defending Kronstadt. well you look at stuff like the paris commune for example and there's got to be a middle ground here because the paris commune i mean they so they did not really kill their prisoners you know their their hostages until i mean i think it was at the point that fears the liberal government had just started massacring like hundreds and hundreds of Paris communards that the commune guys were like, I guess we'll kill the like 10 people we have and then die. Uh, so it, like, I mean, maybe they killed some prisoners, but I mean, that would, that would be the context if it did happen. They, they burned the guillotine in public, all that kind of thing. And I, I think, um, but then you also have the Paris commune didn't march against fears fast enough. Right, I don't know if those things are. They didn't rob the bank. Yeah, I don't know. Engels like gets on him for not robbing the Bank of Paris. I love that. I I don't know that those things are necessarily connected because I really think that the the Paris Commune could have marched against fears quickly, and not necessarily, but would have had a chance of, by element of surprise, winning that civil war. Um, And they wouldn't have had to make all these, you know summary executions and all this. And it's sure. I mean, it's a more, it's a different situation in, in uh, Russia. And I, 
I, I agree that personal moral judgment, right? But I don't really – I mean I used to admire Lenin. And I mean I admire Lenin now in the sense that you remember the cyborg at the – in Alien who's like, it's a perfect machine, <laughs> killing like cable. Like, like Lenin is very good at – he looks at a political situation in Russia and goes like, none of you get how we win. Right. And I mean, maybe a fucking like totally baseless, like floating socialist movement would have been just as bad, if not worse than something that consolidated at the time. I mean, it's a specific historical situation. That's the argument that's made. I don't know that that's true, but I guess what I'm saying is that there are historical examples of proletarian uprisings, which their impulse was not to kill everybody. I mean, it's just the facts, you know. Like, and and well, I mean, uh, look look at there. the look I, at I, the death of look at the death of the author here. Like in the, the metaphorical sense, right? Like, all right, like Lenin's response to Luxembourg was, well, you don't exactly get the context of what I was saying. You kind of like got some of the details of my arguments wrong. And I think I, I've, it's been a while since I reviewed this, but I recall this being true. But ultimately, even if it reminds me of like the conversation between Marx and Bakunin, where Marx is saying, no, 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 Bakunin, that's not what I mean. And what Bakunin is really saying is like, not necessarily what, what Bakunin should be saying is that if you like these ideas will lead to this, not that Marx is saying this. And maybe Luxembourg's making a similar mistake. Lenin's saying this and Lenin is not saying that, but Luxembourg could be saying, if you kind of take on what Lenin is articulating, it's going to lead to this. That I think is like, it's like an early good call by Luxembourg, even if the details are wrong. It's hard for me to ignore that. I'm there with you. It's, uh, it's smoke, smoke weed every day. I don't know. Rosa even life. the honest, honest to God, people trash the mass strike. Okay, the mass strike is not a bad fucking essay. All right, like mass strike is pretty fucking good, and it I, doesn't. I like I mean. It doesn't argue for pure autonomism or no organization no. or anything like that. And that's the no, weird no. thing is you basically don't you don't ever read Luxembourg when you're brought up in like the kind of like if you were just given like the conventional left kind of education, I feel like you wouldn't actually read Luxembourg you just hear about how she was a wonderful martyr who got x y and z wrong and and because she because she said something that leninists disagree with about capital in volume 2 uh in a letter uh to a personal friend well frankly there's just no reason to read anything she wrote you know that's well, that's how i feel well, like the attitude is like well, she's, there's three she's things holy, that you, she's a saint but also like maybe didn't write anything that you can get anything from there's it's three weird. things that you might read you might read her response to the betrayals of the Day. day reformer revolution to i don't i don't know if that's reformer revolution i think this is called like the junius pamphlet oh uh, i know junius yeah that's a good one I don't know if this is the same thing, but I I think reformer revolution is a that one I, I think is is the socialism or barbarism one, and then there's a later one that's about tactics, that's called reform or revolution. 
Um, which, you know, again, is a, is a Marxist classic. Like I, I almost roll my eyes talking about it because like you do read it no, in the, the sort time- of like IS tradition or whatever. On the like, time the, life, it, like Marx, like best of Marxism collection. Like it's one of the things that scrolls up on the screen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a top 10, you know, from any, like, if you go to the ISOs, like top 10 books to read on socialism, whatever you're, you're always going to see reform or revolution. I like, don't know that many that, people who've actually read Luxembourg, but I don't disagree with you. But, okay. but like for, for this tradition in particular, again, they were a sort of like, you know, Tony Cliff was at first like a post Trotskyist figure and sort of associated with state capitalism theories and was sort of, adjacent to some autonomous Marxist groups. It's hard to appreciate that because the Cliffites became like the arch trots, but it's, it's like a similar backslide of when trots become tankies, these left comms basically become trots like, (laughs) like in so many words, it's a little more complicated than that. But if if you know what I'm saying, like they, it's a very incomplete break from Trotskyism that just repeats everything, but they did incorporate some of the, the thought of, you know, the better, like, of some of the autonomous that didn't lose sight. I don't even, maybe we shouldn't call them autonomous, but people that were believers in autonomous activity being a necessary, you know, causal element of social change that still believed in having a party, you know, like, that's an important set of thinkers. That's the theoretical core of Marxism, you know, like, in so much as it existed in the 20th century, like, insofar as it existed in the Kautskian paradigm, like that's where it was. Um, that's the stuff that when you're saying that Luxembourg's a better torchbearer than Lenin for angles, I would agree. Like, you know, that's, I guess, I guess like Draper is, you know, trying to carry the torch for that tradition in, in a funny way. And I, I guess Leninism or Marxism isn't really the name of that pamphlet, but like there's another really cheesy Luxembourg quote, you know, the tell the truth is revolutionary. Like, and there's something about doctrine and ideology forming that isn't, isn't about telling the truth. Like, unfortunately. Right. I mean, again, I, I, I totally think that's salient and I feel like even Draper where he is like, he's much more salient about, what a political like what a political grouping could look like and what it should do and how to appear less crazy but there's no reckoning with with why do we seem crazy why like why are like what distinguishes uh, like there, and I'm not saying that this is always going to be wrong for socialists to have a distinction. But what distinguishes socialists from the ongoing social level, like evolution of capitalism into socialism, right? Like there's not, there's not a, a, um, I guess it just seems to me like Draper is primarily concerned with the instrumental goals of making the left great again. And the value of that is not under any scrutiny you know, relative to the proletarian movement itself, you know, like it's just, you can start a paper. You go, you can go ahead and start a paper. There's nothing like, you can start wrong a, you with can that. Start, you can start a paper without like starting a call. Right. Well, but like, I mean, I mean there's like, plenty of papers I, that don't say I, I, shit. 
Like well, ideological I mean, conformity is and do- doctrinal unity is the problem. Like philosophical unity is a culty requirement for an organization. You can have, I think having a program or, or having some kind of, I know points of unity are, are part of a lot of left unity bullshit, but it's a lot more sane than requiring everyone to have the same worldview. Well, I mean, I think part of the useful part about starting, like, I guess we're saying a newspaper because that was the thing people did then, but you know, whatever media thing you would use now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like what you kind of want in like a major organization, what you want in a newspaper or any kind of plat, you want basically you want a space where like ideas can be debated. Right. Like that's ultimately that that's like, you know, that's something that like could, you know, there were, there were factions in the international. And I think that, you know, the, even however formal informal they were, that's okay. Like that you want, mm-hmm. you want this space where it's like, okay, we're all in on this collective project, even if we all have like, these kind of different tendencies and disagreements. Right. That's a better thing to our, like that's better, but it's harder to do with three guys and a dog in your basement. Like sure. that's a, I mean, it's a better goal to get to is, is not just to have a doctrinal unity brand of communism that you hope to, you know, inspire the left with, but to have like a, an actual space for debate. That's the virtuous parts of the weekly worker is when they actually kind of allow like, you know, different points of view to be articulated. Although, you know, I there's some that are a little weird that's in there, but you know. Yeah, you you think their program would make it so you don't have like weird transphobes and turfs arguing their case there. On but the whatever. other hand, they are the Communist Party of Great Britain. Well, so yes, you're, I yeah, feel like you know the, the Communist par- Party of Hogwarts. It's hard to throw a rock there without hitting a turf. I mean, that's the impression I get, at least in England. You know. Yeah, it it, it seems pretty bad. Like one of my friends lives in England, like. Those turfs like harass and dox people. It's like, yeah, it sounds bad. It sounds like, uh, it, now that's political correctness gone mad. It's all mad. That's it for this week. Sorry if there were some dated references buried in there. Like I said, we actually recorded this even... God, I think even pre-COVID. Like Bernie was still running. Um, which seems like another era. I still feel like what happened with Bernie, due to just the way events have been shifting, and, you know, it seems like... It seems like the ground is sliding out from under us. Like, almost as if like it's, there's an avalanche or something. There's never really been a whole proper Bernie post-mortem assessment that you might get in a more stable period. But, yeah, here we are. Uh, If you'd like to support the show, check out our Patreon. Hit us up on social media. Uh, If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. That's all I have for today. Until next time. Keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.